0: Welcome back to another episode of Me and Mr. 80s. I'm Nick, the me part. And I'm overselling again. And with me now,
1: Mr. 80s. Hi, everybody. It's Daryl. Thanks a lot for joining us on what could possibly be the last show before a little bit of a summer break. We'll just kind of have to see. That's probably the way that it's going to play out. Um, you know, summer comes along, people get busy, they're taking vacations, and with any luck, out enjoying the nice weather. Uh, and maybe they're not glued to their portable electronic devices as much as they are during the other months of the year. So it gives us a chance to go out and do stuff without having to feed the beast. And uh, gives you a chance to catch up on all of the other splendiferous
0: entertainment that we have put out on the interwebs that maybe you've missed. That's right. There's plenty of entertainment out there. This is episode 28, so there's 27 more hours of excitement, baby. Which, I mean, considering that we started
1: this in October of 2011, and considering that neither one of us is really known for our perseverance or stick <laughs> the fact that it's lasted this long is pretty freaking remarkable. I'm amazed. <laughs> and impressed. Today we're discussing... Among other things,
0: (laughs) breakup albums,
1: which is a good topic because pretty much the breakup
0: album has been around as long as rock and roll, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. And I thoroughly enjoy the uh, heartfelt earnestness that someone pours into their... uh uh, their heartfelt album. <laughs> when it breaks up, it makes for good music. <laughs> so I would be, you know, since you're the one, you're, you selected this topic. You, you've mm-hmm.
1: done a fine job of selecting topics for the last uh, quite a few uh, shows. Um, so, I mean, do you have any, you know, preliminary thoughts on on this topic or just some, you know, stuff in general before we kind of dive into individual releases?
0: Well, uh we we've i think we've we've talked off air about these before that there's just something about you know uh the the emotional weight that they put into these albums that you really you know you can feel the anguish and you can feel the the uh, maybe the earnest if they're trying to write a song about getting back together um there was an artist that I saw, we'll talk about, that I saw them live during the tour of their breakup album. And you could just, even in the performance that he was giving, you could, you, know, you could feel that emotional weight that, you know, sometimes they just, they don't always put in music, but they seem to always put in breakup albums.
1: And it also, it seems like, uh, artists in general do their better work when they are depressed. Mm-hmm. And hence, uh, you know, breakup
0: albums can oftentimes have a lot of their best music. Yeah, and it's not like they. Tr- everyone turns into a goth band when they get depressed. Sometimes they can write a, you know, a, a beautiful pop song and just, you know, you can listen to the the lyrics and go, oh, holy fuck, were they in a bad place.
1: <laughs> 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 so... Uh, if, it, if, it were, if it were just me here in a room alone, I would say that of course any discussion of rock and roll breakup albums begins and ends with Fleetwood Mac's rumors. <laughs>
0: but maybe you have a different thought. No, no, that's, uh, that is pretty much the, uh, <laughs> the standard by which all other uh, breakup albums are going to be measured against. Cause boy, did they turn in some amazing songs. <laughs> Which again, you know, if you listen to the lyrics of them, and know, you know, the place where they were all at, you know, two groups of people all, you know, coming to bitter ends, Uh, as we talked in a previous episode. I had seen recently the uh, behind the music sort of thing of the Fleetwood Mac Rumors album, and yeah, the wow, the um, talking to Christine McVie and John McVie, and they couldn't even. She was apparently. Dating the lighting engineer at the time, as they were that they're making this album, (laughs) and she had written, um, "Oh damn, I'm gonna forget the title of it." Um, "You give good love, you Mm -hmm. uh, Um, you make loving fun. You make loving fun." Is written to that guy. So there you have John McVie playing on a song that his former wife wrote for her current lover. How fucked up is that? <laughs> and it's a song that tells you, "Oh, you fuck me great." You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> just, holy crap, not like that other guy, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how do you, uh, how do you live through that?
1: Or how about being Lindsay Buckingham and playing guitar and helping out with production on, on uh, Stevie Nicks' song "Dreams," which is about
0: him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now here you go again. You say you want your freedom. <laughs> I, I thought it was nice that, you know, as their the, the program was, you know, uh, talking to them long past the time and Lucy was able to say, you know, there were tough times there because, you know, you, you once you realize what the song is about, I kind of see there were times where I didn't want to help her make that song happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you live, you know, With that juxtaposition of, you know, helping someone you love create an album, but you're at a tumultuous place, and you don't really want to make her succeed, especially when the song is about you and you're being a dick, you know. (laughs) And and he has been he's been very open about that, and and has actually used
1: those exact words about you know not wanting to help her, and uh, and but that album in particular, if you take the, the song dreams and. The song Go Your Own Way, uh, they are basically the yin and yang, the his version and her version of why the relationship broke up. And what is so interesting is that Stevie's thesis is, now here you go again, you say you want your freedom, and Lindsay's thesis is packing up, shacking up is all you want to do. <laughs> so they're both saying that the
0: other one left the other. So <laughs> They're both the jilted lover. Yeah, that's uh <laughs> but you know they still made you know one of the most classic rock albums on the planet. Well, I mean, I mean it's, you know it's, it's one of the, it's
1: in the top 5 <laughs> of the biggest selling albums of all time. I yeah. mean, it's a it is a success no matter how you slice it. It's an artistic success, it's a commercial success. It's in terms of legacy and history, it's a success. I mean, it's it is one of the biggest albums ever released and it came out of Everything else is kind of crumbling around you,
0: which really how do they get the rule? Yeah, I mean, how do you get that done? I mean, uh, the again seeing that uh, documentary about it, and uh, Christine on the song or uh, one of the songs was "Oh Daddy," which was written about uh, uh, Matt Fleetwood, uh, Mick Fleetwood, yeah, Mick Fleetwood, and how he was kind of the the dad of the group and how he kind of. You know, just got them to leave the problems, you know, uh, on aside and, and and work on the music. But I, I I don't know how he could influence them so well because, you know, there's so much, you know, uh, pain and anguish and, you know, to this is you know so many breakup albums. Uh, I, I'm I. Would bet don't even get made because you start to work on it and you just sort of lose your focus or you, you know, you have problems in the creation process and end up not doing it. So uh, to me, it's always impressive when one gets made. But in this case, most, you know, aren't five band members, four of which are all in feuding at the same time. I don't know how they were able to not just get an album done but get one of the best albums ever done. <laughs> did
1: the documentary, because I'm kind of fuzzy on the timeline, because at some point um, Stevie and Mick did begin a sexual relationship. Did that happen during the recording of that record, or was
0: that the tour afterward? Uh, no, it was uh, uh, not mentioned in the thing, okay. uh, in the, the documentary. Because that's another wrinkle, oh, is, yeah, is that then Mick Fleetwood starts having an affair with Stevie. Yeah, the only affair he talked of was apparently John McVie was dating his ex wife, mix ex wife or something. Yeah, (laughs) so layer upon layer, just crazy. Uh, I actually have a favorite breakup album.
1: uh, In terms of uh, uh, this is from many many years ago when I was a young man. This is twenty years ago. This record came out. Uh, and we've talked about before on the show, which is a view from Third Street by a gentleman named Jude Cole.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And every opportunity that I have to talk about this record, I, I do. <laughs> and I don't want to, you know, dwell on it too much because I understand that not a lot of people have heard it. It had a couple of a pretty big hit singles. Uh, the big, the biggest one was uh, "Baby It's Tonight." Uh, and there was another one called "Time for Letting Go." But what I always appreciated about this record, it was not even marketed as a breakup album. And I have tried to uh, ask the man himself uh, on Facebook uh, if this was indeed about one single particular relationship, or if it just kind of happens that all the songs were just sort of about relationships in flux. He's never answered, so mm-hmm. I, I don't, he's one of those guys that prefers not to talk about the old stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I what I think its masterstroke was is that it's a ten song album. The very first song is about more worldly concerns. It's a song called Hallowed Ground. And then the very last song is about more worldly concerns. It's called uh, Prove Me Wrong, which is kind of about, you know, one man making a difference and stuff in the world. And then in between are these eight songs that are very obviously about a relationship that has gone south, and just the 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 gamut of emotions that are covered from thinking that you see your your ex in a face in the crowd, which I think has happened to everybody you know and, it, and just um and feeling like you're the only person now that doesn't have somebody and mm-hmm. looking at old photographs and and looking at happier times and wondering how how things could have gone so wrong i mean it's just a very Raw album, and it's done with kind of a, an adult contemporary, adult pop kind of a, a feel, and it's very tuneful, and, uh, I just, I think it's one of the, I, I put it up there with rumors as far as being mm. an artistic achievement, and I just think it's sad that, that more people don't know about it.
0: That's true. I, I, I haven't, I, you've played it for me before, but I haven't heard it in a very long time, but, I know you, you, it obviously has stuck with you for a number of years. a very long time. So do you have one
1: like that that you kind of listened to and went?
0: Well, I, the, as I mentioned in the, uh, the ramp up for this, I'd seen someone do this thing live. Uh, it was Lenny Kravitz mm-hmm. and Mama Said, which, uh, that was at the time the breakup of him and different, or uh, uh Cosby show actress Lisa Bonet. And yeah, <laughs> he, he has a song on there called Flowers for Zoe, who is now like 20. <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, obviously not everything on here is, um, uh, you, you know, I don't, I don't know how much of this is directly for Lisa Bonet, but you can kind of tell by Titles, You know, uh, Stand By My Woman, Ain't Over Till It's Over, More Than Anything in This World, What Goes Around Comes Around, uh, All I Ever Wanted. Um, yeah, and then Flowers has Always being for his daughter. So th- there's a lot of... What was the know, title of the song that everybody calls Mama Said? Uh, Always on the Run. Always on the Run. With Slash as guitarist on there. Great song. Um, this was only his second album, right? Yeah, yeah, this was, uh, the follow-up to, wow, uh, Let Love Rule. Yeah, and, and apparently before that he was Romeo Blue, but I I have yet to see anything that ever came out from, uh, that incarnation of <laughs> of what he was called. Maybe Romeo Blue and Why Can't Tori Reid toured together. <laughs> you gotta wonder. Uh, it, it was, uh, the, you know, uh, Catchy, you know, like the Stand By My Woman, which was a single. I'm going to stand by my woman no matter what she does. I'm going to be right there for her. But uh, from what I understand, and obviously, you know, it's all third-hand knowledge, was apparently he, you know, did something that got her to leave him. And, you know, you kind of assume it must have been some sort of rock and roll groupie thing. But you never know. It really but it's is quite amazing
1: how many musicians cannot keep it in their pants. Yeah. <laughs> and just expect their women to understand. Yeah. Uh, it's rock and roll, baby. Come on. I mean, even guys that have become deified over the years, like Bob Marley, I mean, had like, what, 11 kids with nine women or something ridiculous? I mean, we make fun of Sean Kemp because he has, <laughs> what, seven kids with six different women, and yet, you know, we're slapping uh, Bob Marley's Uh, poster and and, you know i'm not passing judgment i'm just it kind of makes you go hmm the one guy is one
0: guy is vilified and another guy is deified it doesn't seem like that gets very much mentioned you know uh as far as when you talk about marley it's more conversation of his uh music or dying early or you know the progeny of his kids but you never they never really make a point of saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, he just sort of banged around a lot. Because, it's again, it's kind of like a rock staple. The people think oh. that Rita is the mother of all of his
1: kids, and she's not. No. I don't really know, you know, as far as, like, you know, Damien and Ziggy and... Uh, I mean, he's got how many kids now that have musical careers? Quite, quite a few. Quite a few. Them. I don't know how they're all... Yeah, I don't know how they're all connected. Yeah. I don't know how many of them are, you know, f- full... Full siblings, <laughs>
0: how many are half siblings? I just don't know. Yeah, but obviously uh, something was passed through genes. If they're all, you know, uh, making careers in music, you got to think some part of that uh, DNA from Bob rubbed off on them. Well, Ziggy has got to be in his forties by now. Oh, at least.
1: And I, <laughs> so I wonder how, because Damien's a pretty young guy, isn't he? Although I guess he he couldn't really be any younger than his like his thirties.
0: Uh, yeah, I was gonna say uh, he he was young last time I heard about him, which was fifteen years ago. So, he's, yeah, they've they've all been around for a while now. Any, um,
1: so you saw him live? Yes. So what 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 was the experience like of seeing him performing these songs in a live
0: setting? Uh, this it was recently after the album had come out, so it was probably you know uh two or three months so i think the emotional weight of the songs as he performs them every night was still there um i remember him seeming like he was really getting emotional at the very end of the concert um i don't, I don't remember what the song was but it was just it seemed like it was very heavy for him and then when he you know ended that song and went off the stage there was, it was probably, it seemed like at the time, the longest wait in between, uh, leaving the stage and coming back for the obligatory encore. And when he came back, he was blitzed out on, uh, on pot. I mean, his eyes were red enough that I was, you know, five, six rows backs. I could see how red his eyes were. He was just completely, you know, gone self Self-medic- so, self medicating self medicating exactly and then you know he did it he came back and he did a fabulous like 20 minute version of let love rule that was just awesome as hell but you know it's just sort of you know int- he he definitely was projecting if not you know feeling the fact that he was very uh emotional about the songs that he was singing that were definitely you know like stand by Your woman like um more than anything in this world, you know, more than anything in this world I want to be your man is the uh, lyric. So yeah, it was very heavy and it was it was it was that was the the only time I've ever seen someone who was did a breakup album and then went and toured on it and uh it was impressive it was really one of the best concerts I'd seen cuz it just felt, you know, you felt the emotion, you know, even you know the joy when he was happy and the sad when he was sad. You just felt it all. Was this the Cleveland Agora you saw? It was. One? I thought I remembered. Yeah, that. Chris and I, and my brother and I went up and saw that. And I saw the the band that opened up for them was called Stress UK, and I still have their album. They were an excellent uh, Kravitz-esque, you know, uh, retro pop group that was really good. As far as I know, they only put out one album.
1: There are a number of records that have uh, come out over the years that have gotten reputations for being uh, breakup albums uh, mm-hmm. that always, I've always meant to explore but haven't.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, one that comes to mind is uh, "Sea Change" by Beck.
0: Oh, I never knew that was a. Uh oh, interesting. I read lots of you know reviews of that and how great it was, but I I never knew it was a breakup album. And this
1: apparently is you know he kind of he drops the facade of. Uh, the production tricks and the stylistic, uh, you know, kind of ironic, winking <laughs> homages, and just does kind of a straight up singer songwriter acoustic album. Um, so I, hmm. I kind of throw that one out there, but it sounds like you know just as so much about it as I do. Uh, yeah, I wish I I wish I knew more. And then uh, the one that uh, the young girls are all into now is Adele's Twenty One. Oh, which is yeah, supposed right. to be, uh, they, yeah, she's amazing. It's supposed to be entirely about
0: uh, a w- relationship with one guy that went south. Didn't you try and sue her for royalties or something because it was all based on him? Uh, and I, I thought I remembered reading something about that's that. That's interesting
1: because that's a that's another rumor about face value that uh, um, Phil Collins' ex-wife sued him. For Invasion of Privacy, which is funny because when you listen to that album, I don't really even think of that as a breakup album, even though apparently it was. I think of that as Phil Collins' first solo album.
0: Hmm. Maybe you'll you'll find out
1: more about that when you watch the documentary. I'm quite sure I will. I mean, I know that, I guess I shouldn't be so flip about it. I'm aware that it was recorded during a time when his marriage was breaking up. I just never got the, when you you listen to it, Mm it, it just doesn't feel like
0: that to me. Hmm. It was it cold and detached? Maybe he was not letting those emotions in.
1: I just think because, you know, so much, uh, and this is kind of the slippery slope, so so much of pop songwriting is about relationships, whether yeah. they're relationships going well or relationships going poorly, that you can listen sometimes, I think, to an album full of breakup songs, and it just kind of goes over your head that it's a concept album.
0: Mm hmm.
1: It's true. And I'm, I'm not trying to take a piss all over face value. I think it's a great album. Uh so anyway. But it wouldn't have been your top Breakup problem Talk to me about Adele Because here, here's the problem Um I like the fact That she's popular mm-hmm. I like the fact that Despite all of the roadblocks That have been put in our way There can still be a multi-generational Artist There can still be an artist that is popular With 12 year olds and 50 year olds Hmm. I like that. Yeah. And I like that she's real, and I like that she's overweight and doesn't seem to care. And I hope she never goes on a diet and loses weight and looks, you know, emaciated, looks skinny and like she needs a sandwich. Um. And I like that she doesn't use studio trickery.
0: Yeah, she just has a great fucking voice.
1: But then there's just something about her voice that I find reedy. Like hmm. it's missing some butteriness or it's missing some fullness or it's just, it's missing something for me. It just sounds a little too, for lack of a better word, shrill to me. Oh wow, yeah, I don't, I don't hear that at all. And it bugs me because I want desperately to like her because of, I, I love everything that she stands for.
0: Oh yeah, read, like, uh, somebody like you. Have you listened to the lyrics of that thing? Oh my fuck, that, that, that is a, that is an emotionally, horribly <laughs> beat you down kind of, I mean, oh yeah, that, well you, you probably saw the, there wasn't there an SNL yeah. short
1: where all the women listened to it to cry?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is, I, I, I totally get why they can do that. And she, I think she really, Sells the the emotion for that song incredibly well. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I've seen her. Uh, she did live, I think, like uh, what was it the Grammys or something, where she basically just did like uh, almost an acapella type version of that song. And wow, yeah, she is an amazing voice. Yeah, I, just,
1: I feel bad, but I just have kind of missed the boat. Hmm, well. I kind of missed the boat on that.
0: Maybe check out a live version. Maybe, maybe it was the way it was recorded and maybe if you hear it live you might, uh, like it better. I could do that.
1: I have a couple other, uh, threads that we can follow here but I don't want to walk all over you so if, you've no, got, if for you can get some other stuff here. Um, I was curious about your thoughts on the fact that really, uh, the first popular breakup album was not a rock album at all. Um it you could say that it was Frank Sinatra sings
0: for only the lonely. Hmm. I'm not even sure I know that song right off.
1: Cuz it was a uh in the capital years in the mid 50s uh he was starting to do uh what he called concept albums and uh you know, he was not a songwriter, so he would just uh, select, he and his arranger, producer, would select songs around kind of a, uh, a theme. A theme. Hmm. And it had started the album before with a record called In the We Small Hours, which was kind of, I think, supposed to take you on a timeline of kind of a late night that sort of began as the uh, sun was going down and then ended as the sun was rising. I think that was kind of the basic thread. Well oh, that's a cool idea. Uh, and so then uh Only the Lonely is what came after that and uh was uh, full of, um, you know, songs about a bad relationship. Probably the most well-known song off of that album uh is One for the Road.
0: Oh. That's a breakup song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll take one more for my baby and one more for the road. Exactly. One more for my baby, in other words, to forget her. Oh, I was, okay. I I was I having never heard the song. I honestly thought he was like ordering a drink at a bar for for him like and then they were going to leave. I, she's wow. not
1: she's not there. <laughs> that would make it more that would explain.
0: All right, see there you go. Learning something every
1: day. Uh and so um it would be very easy for me to sit here and say that that pretty much is the seed. That is, but, but what I don't know is were there, was there something that came before that? So I don't want to make any kind of a grand definitive proclamation that the breakup album began with Frank Sinatra sings for Only the Lonely, because I really don't know. Maybe there was something
0: before that. Well, I, I would, I would bet that there is something in the classical genre that would probably predate all of that, but I think in, for the modern pop era, I kind of think that's pretty close. I mean, you know, uh you know, the, the switch from, you know, big band swing into, you know, a, a a pop crooner was, you know, not that far off from there, so there wasn't a lot of uh yeah, I don't know. hmm. Well, just a thought. That's a very interesting thought. I That is true. I usually, when I think of, you know, breakup songs and breakup albums, I usually do think much more in the modern era of, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and all that. So, hmm, it may have all been started by Frank Sinatra. Well, there you go.
1: Uh, and then I wanted to mention something else. Uh Since we're talking about the breakup album, and I was thinking about the breakup song, and... Oh, sorry, I didn't, did not put my phone on airplane mode. Are you getting a call? No, it's <laughs> just a text. Um, since we, we've already established that so much of popular music is uh, either a love song or it's a breakup song. In fact, I think it was uh, Frank Zappa who, when he was testifying before the PMRC, said that if music really did have... As much of an influence over people as they claimed, <laughs> since 90% of popular music is love songs, the world would be filled with a lot more love. <laughs> um, uh, he's awesome. And so I think of a guy like Luther Vandross, who of course, um, had the reputation for being a love man and, you know, baby making music and you <laughs> put on a Luther Vandross album and, uh, get jiggy with it get jiggy with it with your significant other here's the thing though and anybody who's listened to the show knows that i love luther and uh is probably you know one of the um, singers who's passed that i miss the most uh just can't believe he's gone um, but on a lighter note i just wonder really in a practical application what it's like if you're putting on a Luther Vandross album back in the 80s and trying to make sweet love to your honey, and then one of his breakup ballads comes on. (laughs) Because to my knowledge, none of his albums were straight up love songs. They were all a mix. And we're talking about the age of, you know, vinyl, where you can't be, you know... Doing your thing jumping from track. and jumping from track, you had to put on a side.
0: You had to be done in twenty minutes, or else the damn thing ran out. Come on, honey, let's go. So I've just, i just really always wondered.
1: You know, really? So I mean, do you just pick a pick a Luther album that has a love song as like the first song, and then hope that? By the time you're into it, you're not even paying attention anymore? Or, or what, what if you are into it and you stop paying attention, but then all of a sudden you do start paying attention and realize that you're making love to a song about breaking up with the person that you're with or getting dumped by the person that you're with. That's usually what he did was that he got dumped and he's sad about it. I just, I just always wondered really in the, in, in practical real usage, can you really use a Luther Vandross album? As an accompaniment to lovemaking. Uh,
0: apparently, if you can only go for ten minutes, yes. <laughs> Honey, I got two songs in me. That's all I got.
1: <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's... That is a... Uh, hmm. That's a very odd dilemma. Does Barry White have... uh did, he, did you know if he intersperses? He's another one of those.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Baby enough. maker.
0: Uh, I don't put know it on enough. album groove albums. So, uh, <laughs> I wonder if he does the same thing. I don't know enough about uh, Barry White to know. We
1: just <laughs> yeah, just kind of crossed my mind. Um, do you have any? Uh, like I said, stop. Stop me whenever you want to uh, go a different direction here. Um. But I know that you had uh, mentioned "Shoot Out the Lights" specifically mm-hmm. when we were talking about uh, this show, which is probably the second most well-known rock mm-hmm. and roll breakup album after Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac's "Rumors." Exactly. Uh, we've got Richard Thompson and Linda Thompson, and this one's a lot more controversial, though, because uh, there seems there's a story out there that says that they actually were not breaking up as the album was being made that they broke up uh, after the album had already been recorded. Oh, I hadn't heard that before. So there are some folks that say it's not really a breakup album. And uh, another thing that makes it interesting, of course,
0: is that uh, Richard wrote all the songs. Oh, now, see, I, I thought that uh, Linda wrote or co-wrote some of them. I thought, hmm. Interesting. Well maybe she did. But
1: I know it's not one of those things where like he wrote the songs he sang and she wrote the songs that she sang and so therefore it's like a dialogue between them. That's not the case. She sang songs that
0: he wrote. Oh, that's even more effed up. Yeah. <laughs> oh that's interesting. Okay. Well see I I know of the album but I, I obviously don't know enough about it. I just, to me it was one of those ones where it seems to always be referenced oh, as- Oh, it, it does.
1: It absolutely does.
0: Um, and the, the title song is
1: probably my favorite Richard Thompson song. He just, uh, it's a great song and, and the guitar is awesome and quite frankly it's always reminded me of television.
0: <laughs> I just think it's oh, a- Oh well, television. I haven't heard them in a while. I need to, I need to go listen to them. A really cool sounding song. And- Do you still have that, uh, Sorry, just non sequitur theater here. Do uh, you still have that two, uh, blow it up, uh, two disc, blow up? Wasn't that a two disc live album or something from them? You had that. I did, but I thought you, you, I, I bought it and then you thought you were, you were going to buy it or something because I, I don't, I haven't seen it in forever. So. I never bought it. Oh, alright. I didn't borrow yours and not give it back. I promise. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Frankly, considering how often I never use CDs, it wouldn't matter to me at all. I can probably give you some CDs if you'd like. Because <laughs> I never use them. Oh, this breaks my heart. They're dying, man. CDs yeah. are dying. You know, uh, as I mentioned this earlier, uh, I have a band out there called Booze for Darla. And if you listen to uh, Spotify or Mog or Last FM or all these other you know streaming services, I get paid every time you listen to my stuff so i I implore everyone who listens to this thing to go listen to my music because I get seven tenths of a cent every time someone clicks on it so I think it's great stuff and he's buying and he's, he's buying me some bazooka Joe, <laughs> so I just you know anytime you listen to one of these things and you can get a a free uh uh, account for any of these, you know, Spotify and Mog and all these kind of things. You have thousands upon millions upon zillions of artists and albums to listen to, and they get paid every time you listen to their stuff. And they probably have better royalty rates than I do. So, you know, it's yeah, I I I pay for it every month, but you don't have to. You can get a free one, and it's just a great way. If you love music, go check it out, and your artists will get paid. It's not like they get stiffed. This message brought to you by Ernie Ball. <laughs> um an a breakup album that i really like and i was going to try and pull up the track list but it's not on this it's it, it was it was rick springfield and the album it doesn't really have a title it only used symbols for like uh like a smiley face and a breakup and a Broken heart and a angry face and oh, is this you a shock, denial, anger, acceptance? Oh, there, yeah, there was a title for it. Good, okay, uh, and the one
1: that he put out in like the nineties.
0: Yes, and uh, it's some excellent tracks. And uh, there's uh, a track on there. Uh, I see. I I haven't listened to it recently because I have it on uh, CD, um, but it's. It's very, uh, if you know Rick Springfield, you know he did a lot of pop songs in the 80s. This had a lot more edge to it. Yes. Um, and to me in a great way. There was, but there's a song on there called Your Psychopathic Mother, which is probably one of the uh, uh, saddest songs about, uh, and now granted, I think you mentioned to me that wasn't it his fault or something, that like he was cheating on her or something? He's actually still married cuz he, he's married to the same he, and he's been married for years and years but he's he's a serial cheater cuz the the theme of this album was how much she had been cheating on him and in the the song uh, your psychopathic mother uh told you you know and it's just basically about how the influence of her horrible parents made her Believe that she was worthless and that she would give herself to any man who asked for it. Yes. And so, you know, uh, the, the chorus is, you know, uh, damn, I, I, I can't think of the chorus even though I, I, it's totally on the tip of my tongue. Um, um, but it's, it's basically about, you know, uh, you gave yourself away and I was looking for you, the one that I knew but i couldn't find you because you kept giving yourself away I and mean, it's just but it's all in a uh, aggressive guitar based pop song that is catchy as hell and you can sing along with it in the spirit of you know eighties Rick Springfield pop songs, but the lyrics are just. <laughs> Horrible and terrible and emotionally
1: wrought of. Well, I, remember pain. Listening, I remember listening to that record and there was like a, a one track early on that had like Baby in the title <laughs> that sounded like classic 80s Rick Springfield and then the rest of the album sounds like Nine Inch Nails and I was like, I really. It reminded me of when Warrant decided to do their Nine Inch Nails album. And I was just like, I don't want to even hear what Rick Springfield sounds like doing
0: Nine Inch Nails. So I stopped. I, and I would say it's definitely not anywhere near as industrial as Nine Inch Nails. It's that, just, that, that, to me, it sounds more like, uh, like 90s grunge. Because then after that, he put out an album called Karma, mm-hmm.
1: which was a return to the classic Rick Springfield sound and did not really try to embrace any of the, at the time, current trends in music. And I like that one much better <laughs> because it's
0: tuneful. Well, there was even a uh, one of the tracks early on, and uh, I wish I could remember the track for it, but at the end of the track plane, they actually put, he, he puts like the um, answering machine recording of her apologizing, him, you know, and trying to get him to take her back or something. I mean, it's just, it's definitely a, uh, and the, the first two tracks on there are very hard-edged and aggressive. Uh, but then, oddly enough, there's a song on there called something like Eden in the title that sounds like it would be the theme song for a TV show. Uh, about you know uh, 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 you know a show called like you know Happy Place of Eden. I mean because it's just you know it's like aggressive and bitter and angry and hurt and lost. And in the middle of it, there's this wacky little pop song that is bright, shiny, and happy, and doesn't really fit at all into the rest of the album. But it sounds like a great pop song.
1: An album that is not marketed as a breakup album, but that I remember even at the time that it came out, thinking, ooh, <laughs> uh, is Bruce Springsteen's Tunnel of Love. Oh, yeah, I like that album. I love that album. In fact, it's probably my favorite Springsteen album. And this, of course, was uh, the first album of new material that he recorded after he married the actress Julianne Phillips. Mm-hmm. And there's even a little thanks in the credits. It says, thanks, Julie. J-U-L-I for Julianne. Thanks, Julie. And I remember... Listening to that album when it came out, and at the time, I'm a teenage kid, and I don't know nothing from nothing, and even I know enough to go, if I was the woman that this album had been dedicated to, I would be pissed. (laughs) And, uh, then they, 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 you know, break up shortly thereafter, and it's quite obvious. I mean, it's all you had to do was listen to the album to know this marriage is not going
0: to last. Yeah, that seems like, that's an odd, it seems like a kind of a dark, uh, uh bittersweet album, you know, just from my own memory of listening to it. I mean, that's, Brilliant
1: Disguise. Yeah. Is that me, baby, or just a Brilliant Disguise? <laughs> <laughs> then there's another song on there, Two Faces Have I? Mm. Wow. <laughs> that,
0: hmm. Maybe he maybe he dedicated it to her ironically. <laughs> Thanks for causing me the emotional pain that brought this album out of me.
1: So that's another one that uh it, like, it's it's my favorite Springsteen record. Or, or one step up, two steps back. Mm. Um somewhere along the line I slipped off track. I mean it's it's just I mean you listen to the record and you go, Yeah, that's this is a marriage that's headed for divorce.
0: Yeah, that's Hmm. I mean, uh, he,
1: it's it's about even going to the bar and he sees a woman and you know she's not looking too married and me I'm pretending. <laughs> I mean, it's just wow. <laughs> and this is he chooses to dedicate this album to his wife. And then how about <laughs> um, "Here, My Dear" by Marvin Gaye? I have no knowledge of that. You have no knowledge of "Here, My Dear" by Marvin Gaye. No, I don't. Uh, this is the divorce settlement album. really so you know the the motown was very incestuous uh everybody was related to one another and uh marvin gay uh quite stupidly is married to barry gordy's sister barry gordy of course owns motown yes marvin gay is married to anna gordy has a child with anna gordy um but then also wants to have sex with the 17 year old girl named janice and uh, records an album about Janice called I Want You. And uh, this is kind of the last straw for Anna. And so Anna says, I am done with you and your cheating ways. And they go to court. And for some reason, she must have had the world's worst divorce attorney. <laughs> uh, instead of just getting half, <laughs> uh, the uh, agreement was she would get all, all of Marvin's royalties from his next album. This sounds like like the worst divorce settlement in history. Wow! And I've done some research on this, and apparently this is true. This is not just some story that has gained life over the years. This really was the settlement. I don't know why. <laughs> if I'm if I'm Anna Gordy and my brother owns your record label, I'm not settling for this. But okay. No. So Marvin decides. Well, hell, I'm going to go into the studio and basically do an album of armpit farts. And <laughs> And release it, and she'll get the royalties from Marvin's armpit fart album. you know he's he basically is going to wow. sleepwalk through his next record, yeah, and he even titles it here, my dear ha! as as in okay, you you want your royalties? There you go <laughs> um but something funny happens on the way to the forum uh, well it's it's released and it's a big flop. Okay. Yeah, it's released, it's a big flop. Uh, something funny happens though over the course of history is that uh, critics start to take a more, uh, forgiving eye on this record. It was released in 1978. It was a double album. A double album. A double album. Uh, had, uh, most of the songs <laughs> don't have choruses. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it's kind of gained a a reputation over the years as being one of these records where Marvin wanted desperately to do a shitty album, but he was just so pissed, which if I was Marvin Gaye, I'd be happy. I'd be like, man, I got off easy. But he apparently was so pissed um, that he could not help but make the songs very real. And very emotionally naked. And so apparently, you know, it's, it's gained this reputation as being this very, uh, raw peak inside a man who is in emotional turmoil. I mean, I think your appreciation of that fact has to be tempered by the fact that the man is in emotional turmoil because he cheated on his wife with a 17 year old girl. But anyway, (laughs) um, so that's, that's the story of here, my dear. Wow. And it is an interesting record. Have you heard it? I have it. And is it, Is it listenable? Yes, absolutely. It is. It is one of those records that is very. It's very daunting because it's not the kind of record you're going to put on and listen to once or twice and then start humming songs to yourself (laughs) the next day, you know. But it's definitely a good companion album. It's a good album if you've got something like I like to listen to it on drives sometimes if I got to drive long distances because I know that I can put this thing on. And it's just going to kind of pull me into its world for an hour and fifteen minutes, you know. Hmm. And so it's not a bad album by any stretch of the imagination. It just kind of breaks all the rules, though, because you know, it lacks <laughs> choruses. Um, lacks it, choruses. That's it has weird. a lot of kind of returning themes and musical motifs because he's he's recycling a lot of the music, you know, to try to stretch this thing to two albums, you know. So it's
0: it's a very. Why, why would he stretch it to two albums? I mean, that's that that in itself seems weird. So it's it's a really a strange, strange uh pop music artifact. <laughs> that is uh exceedingly odd. I odd odd that I've never heard that mentioned either. How did you hear about it? Um Yeah, I'd started hearing about it just
1: as uh kind of um you know, worst albums in history kind of a thing, like with Metal Machine Music. You know, people would talk about, you know, the biggest, uh, <laughs> biggest... <laughs> art- biggest fuck yous. Yeah, <laughs> b- biggest artist saying F you to the record companies in history, Here My Dear would come up. Hmm. And uh, then all of a sudden it starts um, popping up on these most underrated kind of list, and you know, as we've discussed, I'm always suspicious of music critics, Yeah, and so I was really enthralled by this, because I'm like, if this thing has gone from one of the worst albums ever to one of the most underrated albums ever, there's got to be some kind of a, uh, you know, so I just had to hear for myself,
0: hmm.
1: and so I started listening to some of the tracks and found it very intriguing, and so I ended up, ended up getting the record based on that.
0: Wow. Have you ever heard Dylan's "Blood on the Tracks"? Yes, that I just, just was trying to pull up lists to see what else you know other people would say, and that was one that's come up a few times. I, I've never listened to it. That is um, an excellent album. Do you recognize it as a great breakup album? I I guess um,
1: a couple of tracks in particular. You know, "You're a Big Girl Now." Uh, you're going to make me lonesome when you go. Hmm. Um, idiot Wind, which is considered one of the all-time kiss-off songs in rock history. You're an idiot, baby. It's a wonder you still know how to breathe. Ow. <laughs>
0: Ow. That's, that's a bit harsh.
1: So, yeah, I guess I okay. can see that.
0: All right. Well, there you go. Well, that's a crappy-ass list. Someone put a Best Breakup Album list on Amazon and pulled things like Tragic Kingdom from No Doubt and Wonder What's Next by Chevelle. Okay. How
1: are we doing on the old entertainment meter?
0: Uh, uh, Just about to hit 50 minutes. And see, there's a bunch of ones I've never heard of. Uh, Bonnie Prince Billy, I See Darkness, Absentee, Shmo Time by Absentee. Psycho Candy by the Jesus and Mary Chain. That I've heard of at least. I, I've I've heard of that album. I, I actually remember listening to it and liking it, but I don't remember. Uh, Violent Femmes by Violent Femmes. Yankee F- Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. Gentleman by Afghan Wigs. I, I loved their uh, next album, uh, Black Love, and the one after that, 1965, I think. I tried to get into Gentleman because um, yeah that was it, one of those it was so well reviewed so critically well reviewed, and
1: it's not that I disliked it i just i couldn't penetrate it i just couldn't
0: i, I didn't find again it's kind of like what we were talking about uh, uh last wow. episode with uh, Radiohead and uh, Black Keys where i I know what I read from people, but when I listen to the music, I don't hear what they tell me I'm supposed to be hearing, <laughs> and as much i i really i i love you know, their next two albums for Afghan wigs. But I, I, you know, I listened to those two and then went back to Gentleman. Maybe that was the problem. Wasn't Black Love like the Horn album or the Soul album? No, that was 65. Oh. That was the one that was supposed to be. Only by reading the press release would you say that it's their homage to Soul and R&B from 1965. Other than that, I mean, it's just well-crafted pop songs. Hmm. Um And Black Love... Um uh, to me seems almost, uh, uh, like, like an, like an, like an anti-chorus album. There, there didn't seem to be a lot of verse, chorus, verses, but the songs were really well crafted, uh, but kind of quirky pop songs.
1: I, uh, I, a group that was, I think, a contemporary of, uh, the Afghan Wigs that, uh, I always liked, but didn't, really ever get into them that much because their sound was so depressing that was one of the, they <laughs> were so good but not the kind of thing that I mean, it was like listening to them was almost torture was uh morphine
0: oh yeah oh gosh i haven't boy, I haven't heard them
1: in a long time which
0: I, I believe that the uh the principal in that band has passed away yeah he passed away a few years ago uh, but i, I mark mean, I, mark sandman is that the
1: could be I knew he had a last name that sounded like it could be something else, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I really always I, lo- I was I loved their sound, but it just really <laughs> it took you somewhere. You oh know? yeah, oh definitely,
0: <laughs> yeah. They 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 were definitely very moody and atmospheric, but good stuff. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, an album that I don't know that it it is considered a breakup album, but I kind of uh listening to the lyrics for it i think there is something in there uh and i think the album overall is a phenomenally good album it was uh motion city soundtrack um oh wow I, th- I think i've forgotten the name of the album um wow i can name all the tracks and i can't think of the name of the album um well i'm gonna have to look it up jeez uh, anyway, the, the, the songs on there, um, uh, have a, have a very much of a breakup thing to a lot of them on there, and there's one song that's a very catchy, um, uh, catchy upbeat song, but the song is, uh, has a chorus that is a, uh, a very much of a kiss-off type, uh, song, um. Let me see. I'll, let me speak about it once I've actually seen the album. There we go. Commit this to memory. <laughs> <Jeez>. That's ironic. And <laughs> I could not. <laughs> Cute. Uh, the song's called When You're Around, um, and now I'm just... Um, uh, I'm going to have to come back to it because I can't even think of the... uh the chorus on it
1: well, what, you're trying to say this is a good breakup album but it's not marketed as a breakup album is that what you're yeah I don't, I don't think
0: I've ever seen anyone market it as being a, a breakup album but there's there's really a uh, um, in the lyrics there seems to be a lot of uh, lyrical things that um, would give me uh, would make me think that it was written as a breakup album um hold me down um is a song on there that uh, that sounds very much uh melodramatic about how you know um i'm holding you know, you're, i'm holding you down and but you're going to go away so that i you know can stop you know uh, being a, a bad influence on your life um Together We'll Ring in the New Year is about, you know, ringing in the new year, but ringing it in all alone, um, what which i done. Time? I did that once, ringing in mm-hmm. the new year You're alone. alone. I did. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: pretty sure I did that, too. Um, and then the very next year, the year after that, was the year that I rang in the new year, drunk off my butt, uh, singing karaoke to u Two's Beautiful Day at that big party. Oh, yeah, right, is. My Ray sisters. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. So things turned around for me. <laughs> Excellent. We need to do so a, a show thing. on concept albums is what we need to do. We have not done that yet. Hmm. There you go. Because uh, with our waning minutes, since I talked about Marvin so much, I, I did want to uh, mention that uh, I've been getting into soul music, funk music, R&B music mm-hmm. pretty heavily over the last several years and uh went through a marvin gay phase and uh bought uh what's going on as one of those albums what were you going to say
0: <laughs> i just <laughs> i went through a gay phase a, gay, I, I <laughs> a went, marvin gay phase i went phase. through a gay phase a marvin <laughs> gay phase
1: um so i i bought what's going on i listened to it and listened to it a couple times and was kind of in the rotation and then i just sort of you know whatever filed it away, didn't listen to it. Well, I pulled it back out again a few weeks ago and started playing it uh, in the car and really got much more into it and could appreciate it a lot more. And I don't know if you've dabbled in it at Not all. Not really. I mean, it, the the two songs that are best known are the title track and Mercy, Mercy Me, The Ecology.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but what's really amazing about this album is that it has been considered a classic since it came out. Yeah. There's really never been a time when it has not been considered a classic, and yet it's a very difficult album. Really, I mean, it's definitely not one of those albums that you put on and go, "Oh yeah, I can." You know, this is a classic. (laughs) I mean, I think that uh, Rolling Stone was like the what the number five best album of all time or something. I mean, this is a very critically acclaimed album historically, and then was very well reviewed when it was first released, and. I see a lot of similarities actually between it and Here My Dear, which is kind of why I, uh, (laughs) I bring it up, uh, strictly based on, um, the music because, uh, even on, um, What's Going On, which is so well reviewed, um, you have this kind of meandering style where it's almost as though this, a backing track was created and Marvin wasn't exactly sure he was going to do with it. And so he just starts singing over it. Or talking over it, you know, kind of a, a thing. Sort sure. and, and so it's it's a really it's it's a difficult album because you have straight up songs, verse chorus, verse chorus songs, like Mercy Me,
0: mm.
1: like what's going on, mixed in with I mean the song that comes on right after what's going on, it's the exact same backing track. Just with different lyrics. Oh that's weird. <laughs> Exact same beat, exact same melody. He just came up with two sets of lyrics, He's like, well, fuck it, we'll just put them all together. And, hmm. uh, so, pretty much side one is, is this, this crazy, um, this crazy mix because it starts with What's Going On, it ends with Mercy, Mercy Me, the, the two most pop oriented songs on the record. And then in between is this kind of suite of melodies that, you really don't know where one song stops and where the next one begins. Okay, hmm. and it's it's all lyrically well, it sounds prog rock. It's all lyrically linked, but the songs are really short. Hmm. You know, I mean, the the longest song is probably uh, on the first side. Uh, it, I mean, some the, the shortest song is like a minute and a half, and the longest is maybe four minutes. Okay, <laughs> uh, and it's supposed to be telling the story of a of Vietnam veteran who has come back. Hmm. And so he's now singing about what he has, what he's seen. So you know, with what's going on, it's the plea for uh, for for peace. And why can't we get along? The next song is the "What's Happening, Brother," where he's kind of getting reacquainted with the people that he left behind and finding out that he's uh, maybe has less in common with them than he thought, but still wanting to reconnect. Then there's "Flying High in the Friendly Skies," which is about uh, heroin addiction. Hmm. And then God is love and save the children, which are more spiritual and about our moral responsibility. And then that segues into the ecology, which is about environmental. And so I think that the fact that these lyrics kind of covered this big scope of individual and his world and stuff, that's why it's um, been so critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Then you get to side two, which is actually my favorite side, because... Uh, it's, it's a lot more funky. <laughs> and uh, the last song on the album is Inner City Blues, Make Me Want to Holler, hmm. which has this very stark um, piano line that, and this very simple uh, drum groove to it that actually, uh, when it first came on, it sounded like a rap song to me. And I can only imagine what that must have sounded like coming out of the speakers in 1972. I mean, if it sounded current to me today, that must have sounded really odd. Yeah. And So that's why it's it's, it's really surprising to me that a record that difficult was so well-reviewed when it was first released. It, It seems to me like that's the one that would have taken some time to develop its reputation, and yet it didn't.
0: Hmm. How big was Marvin Gaye before that album came out? Because, like, to me, that kind of is, like, what I associate Marvin Gaye with. So, like, I was kind of curious, maybe, they, was he already a big star? And yes. this And so this was just sort of, like, Rolling Stone has a tendency to uh give high ratings to albums from artists that they've liked previously. Yeah. So do you think it was a case of, oh, it's another Marvin Gaye album, we'll just give it a good, you know, It's probably good. We'll just, you know, pass it along as a quality, uh, album anyway. Or do you think they were really paying attention to... Good question.
1: I can't answer that. I don't know. I mean, I do know that, uh, he was considered, uh, like the biggest act at Motown, (laughs) which, uh, is surprising. Yeah. I mean, you would think that the Supremes or the Miracles would maybe, or the Four Tops would be maybe ahead of him. So, I mean, he was a major star. Uh, what I don't know is, uh, if his sound had been evolving. Cause to me, I mean, if you think about the, the stuff from the 60s with, uh, that he was doing, the, the typical Motown sound, and then if he did that and then whoomp, <laughs> put this out, which sounds nothing like that, I would, I would, I would feel like the critics would need some kind of transition to get to that. And that's what I don't know. I don't know what the albums that maybe immediately preceded this sounded like. If he was kind of slowly getting into Working this, his way into into this more challenging kind of stuff or not. So that's a, a good hmm. question.
0: Interesting. Well, I'll have to look at that. I, 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 that's one of, the, one of those albums I always mean to listen to, but again, you know, only so many hours in the day. Well, if you're like me, the first time you listen to it, you're going to be
1: like, really, this? <laughs> this is what all the fuss was about? But the more that I listen to it, the more I can appreciate it. And I've,
0: side 2 is just, Side 2 is is excellent. It's tough listening to things where you bring in a, the bias before. You know, it's not like you're just, you know, putting it on your uh, your record player in 78. You know, we now have, you know, so many years of, Hearing about it and you know, hearing the influences that came from it, you know, it's tough to 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 wipe those away and just listen to what the album is rather than listening to what you think it is or what you've heard it is or yeah. yeah well, that'd be good. I'll try that.
1: Conversely, though, it also benefits from that because you know, if I didn't know all the cachet that came with it, it did not really pass my first couple <laughs> listens test. So I may have never picked it up again. Hmm. But the fact that it is, you know, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, I kind of thought I should probably, you know, take another whack at trying to get into this.
0: They had a uh, tribute to that where a bunch of different artists, for some reason, only redid that one song. They, it, like, you know, it was, I can't remember when this was, maybe somewhere between like five and ten years ago, they had a bunch of like rap and R&B artists and they all did like, their own cover of what's going on so you had like six versions of that song of that one song i always thought it was odd that they as far as i know only did that one song and it's like here's a whole album you couldn't just all pick one song from the album and do that it's like you know we want to do this thing distribute tribute to marvin we want you to you know do it from the what's going on album oh i'll just do you know what's going on? Well, we already have six other people doing that. No, I'm sorry, that's the only track I want to do. All right, let's do it again. What do we? Why not do twelve versions of it? Come on, that's got to be really annoying to listen to that whole album. That's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know they released one single for it, but <laughs> that just seems like a really dumb concept. Not really a good tribute. No, that's a
1: Bass, uh, bass, backwards
0: way I have to out. go backwards just one minute for the, commit this to memory. I finally remembered the lyric of the, the song was, uh, when you're around, and it's very catchy and upbeat, but the, the chorus is, I can't fucking stand it when you're around.
1: <laughs> That's probably a very good way to end the show about the breakup album.
0: Cause that kinda <laughs> sums it up.
1: Exactly. That kinda <laughs> sums it up. Alright, uh, well how do we, uh, we went over, yeah, we don't listen to the last five minutes, folks. It's terrible. <laughs> Just skip it. Come back. We love you. <laughs> so we're probably taking a break now for the summer or maybe not, but we probably maybe are. So enjoy your summer. Stay happy, stay safe, stay healthy. And, uh, you'll find us popping up in your feed then when the summer's over or if you want advance notice, you can like us on Facebook. Huh? Yeah. Huh? You want to like out, us on keep Facebook? It all. all the information will be released there. Me and Mr. 80s are on Facebook, people. Or you can send us an email, mister 80s at rocketmail.com. As always, we spell Mr. 80s, M-I-S-T-E-R, 8-0-S. So, until next time we meet, good night, Henry Brown, wherever you are.